You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gap. And continuing off narrating will be Todd Fox. That's right, but before we get into this uh, episode, we want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, just type in Grinding True Crime. There you can follow our page, like our page, leave a comment on our page, even if it's a negative one, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, if you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, you can go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine, and Zencaster. Sorry about that. <laughs> and then for those listening to us outside of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to uh, support what we do, you can be a Patreon member exclusively only on Podbean. Uh, for those who have Podbean and are a member, we thank you. If you want to know, just uh, download the Podbean app. And there on your page, you can click the Patreon subscribe button and you can become a Patreon member. And we would thank uh, you if you did. Okay. Um, listener's discretion is advised. We do get into details that can be uh, graphic and not suitable for certain audience. So listener's discretion is advised. And a quick reminder, if you didn't hear from last week's episode, uh, this Sunday, uh, October 29th, 5 p.m. Pacific time, exclusively only on Podbean, we will be going live and we'll be accepting audience uh, calls as well. So this Sunday, October 29th, we will be live only on Podbean at 5 p.m. Pacific time. All right. Oh, and one thing I wanted to add. Uh, we normally do our time at 9 a.m. Pacific time on the last Sunday of the month. And because of our schedules, our work schedules, we had to change it to 5 p.m. Well, good news. We was, uh, I was just talking to Todd Fox, and he just told me that we're going to be going back at 9 a.m. due to a change in the schedule. So uh, in the next month episode, um, when we go live in November, we will be going back to our normal 9 a.m. Pacific time. So this will be the last time we go live at 5 p.m. For all of those who listen to us in other countries whose time zones are different, I'm sure you guys will appreciate that. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Um, with all that being said, I know you guys want to listen to this one because this is going to be a continuation episode. We are going to uh, go into part two. If you didn't hear uh, last week, uh, last uh, episode in part one of the case of the cost country uh, with Tommy Lynn sales, I keep saying Tommy Lee Jones. I don't know why I want to say Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy Lynn sales part one. If you want to listen to the last uh, episode we did, I advise you to do that because now we're going to continue into part two, the cost country killer 
with Tommy Lynn Sales. Todd Fox, you have the floor. Yes, so like my partner said right there, uh, check out part one because that'll set up the entire way how he came became the way he is. We got into several of his early murders, the last one leaving off uh, with him dismembering a body and throwing it into a hot spring where she was never found. And then <clears throat> we also talked about uh, the case that we're going to save for part three, which is probably his ghastliest, uh, most detestable crime that he did um, or that we can debate that he did or not, because that will be the hot button topic as we're going to detail that story um, from start to finish. It's going to get its own episode in part three, and then we're going to break it down and let you, the audience, in the comments let us know if you think he did it or not. And the same thing with Matt and Gabby. I want their first reactions once we get into the to the case itself. It's one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, that I've told. I don't know. It, you know, it's going to come down to if this is the worst you've heard, or you know. So we'll 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 get into that for next episode. It's that bad, bro. It's that bad. <clears throat> like I said in part one, gave me nightmares for a couple nights. Mm. So, um, let's jump into part two now. Um. Like I said, we left off him leaving to Chicago to commit that heinous crime. And, um, you know, we'll talk more about that. Um, but after he leaves Chicago after the heinous crime, um, he heads to Boston and fueled by just drugs and alcohol and and uh, continuing his um, because at this time he's doing a lot of weed, which is, you know, stronger weed back in the day. Mm hmm early 80s and then he's also doing um or mid 80s at this time and he's also doing lsd and cocaine with a lot of uh alcohol um good mix say again i said that's not a good mix no it's not at all um <clears throat> so he gets to a spot now where um he wants to to get into an urge to kill again and Tommy would find an 11-year-old on the street by the name of Melissa Trembley. Um, she was, this is in 1988, she, would, uh, she was from the New Hampshire area, but visiting family in Boston. Uh, he would snatch her off the streets, sexually mo um, molest her, um, strangle her, and then slit her throat. Mm. He would leave her on the, the railroad tracks where she was found two days later. How old was she again? 11. Oh, gosh. Yeah, they did a massive hunt for her, uh, the local police and authorities. Her parents were grief-stricken, obviously. And again, being the cross-country killer, um, he lived that transient style. He was just not around. Like 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 if he made a, if he made a murder, he just knew just to get out of town. So he was in the Boston area and and uh, he left the big city and just took off just like that. So committed a murder. And that's why he was so hard to catch. Mm. So you didn't have DNA back then. You didn't have surveillance. And he just wasn't caught. Mm. Uh -uh. So, so he would stay um, just outside the Boston area until it started getting cold. And, um, you know, he those abandoned homes weren't heating themselves. They didn't have electricity or the right insulation because he would break in from one to another. He'd be in those crack houses. Um, he fled west in uh, late night or uh, the winter of 1988 uh, to Nevada. So came back to oh. Nevada. Okay. 
um, at this point, Tommy would get some connections with his druggies on the tr by the train tracks and his charismatic ways he would get in to a supplier uh you know drug supplier and would come up with some pretty good weed and some um you know uh, some other drugs to sell and then the money he would get from selling the drugs he would turn around and buy his psychedelic stuff or his cocaine okay. um let me ask you guys a question what do you think would set Tommy off because someone sent him off in 1988 uh, what do you think was said to him to uh, get him really really angry enough to kill well he's doing some hallucinating drugs so I'm going to say someone said I'm going to say someone said his breath stinks <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, hey, he had probably had some rotten teeth, and Dave's like, "Hey, bro, your breath stank." Snap, <laughs> Gabby, you want to take a stab at this one? <laughs> I bet you I'm right. <laughs> I'm guessing maybe, maybe somebody told him no more when it came to getting his drugs. No, uh, he literally just said, uh, "I guess." He looked at him and said, "Man, you look like a chump." Mm. That's what all is said. a chump? Kind of like a punk. Yeah, you know, a wuss. Like a weak one. Yeah, some someone yeah. like no one's afraid of, someone that can yeah. be picked on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. he called him a chump, and um, what's that? I said that would set him off. Correct. And he's talking to a 51-year-old at the time, Kent Allen Lawton from Nevada. And he felt disrespected. And so all Tommy said he did was put his head down and reached into his back pocket, pulled out a switchblade pocket knife, and went right for the dude's throat. Dang, man. Went for the jugglers. So he didn't think twice. He didn't think twice and... Tommy stood over Kent as he bled to death right in front of him. Oh. I mean, he literally swiped and got, like you said, the jugular, everything. He got the main okay. vein. So. Wow. Oh, go ahead. No. So he was just, he, he was, he had a quick temper. Not, Very much you know. so. Dang. Isn't that expected though? Like when people do hard drugs. Yeah, they can become very erratic very fast. Gosh. That sucks. So he winds up fleeing Nevada now for Wyoming. And he gets away from this. They find the body, but there's no DNA. There's no CODIS at the time. And the randomness of these killers, they figure Lawton's a, you know, a known drug addict. Uh, it could it could have. And, and he also serviced uh, prostitutes. So they're thinking, did a pimp get him? Did a drug deal go wrong? Um, at the time in Nevada, uh, just like in Boston, uh, Tommy Lynn Sells was not on anybody's radar. Nobody even knew he was in town or who he was. Mm -hmm. So it was the perfect murder again. He got away with it. Dang. Yep. Um, now we know he's a good murderer and a good rapist, but he's no good at, at, at car theft. Um, all his arrests have mainly come around car theft and 
he got busted three times in Wyoming for car theft. Dang. And then having drugs um, on him again. So um, because of this, he would serve on and off uh, time once again in uh, in in, uh, in jail, six-month pr- periods here or there. He would also do rehab facilities uh, to get him off drugs because obviously he would have the withdrawals. So he's going through like the same crap he was doing in Texas. Um, so he eventually gets out and he makes his way uh, down to Florida. And he gets a job down there for a little while, but then it's not really uh, it's not really his thing. And so okay. he begins to... Um, he begins to uh, come up with an idea of having uh, uh, what, what's it called being a panhandler and as a panhandler he's around uh, the freeways and just being able to talk to people and you know ask for money ask for certain things and he winds up with his charisma talking to a woman uh, by, the, uh, by the name of Teresa Hall she's 25 Mm-hmm. And at the end of December 1991, she had a five-year-old, and uh, they talked a little bit. He found out where she was. Um, he came to her house, and well, uh, he attacked her. And in the in the process of fighting her, they knocked into a table, which was like a wooden kitchen table, and it broke. And it, and as he's trying to attack her, she's fighting off the knife. He's not really stabbing her. He's able to get the leg of the the table, mm-hmm. and he begins to beat her to death with it. Mm. It's a wooden kitchen table leg, and then he attacks and kills her five-year-old daughter. Uh. Oh. Bludgeon both of them. So... This was one, too, where they thought... You remember when we did the case of uh, Angel Resendez? Name sounds familiar. The railroad killer from uh, Mexico. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I remember. Yeah, they thought this was one of his cases because the train tracks ran behind his or her house. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this was around... Yeah, obviously, this was around the same time that he was on the loose. Correct. And he was all over the country, too, riding the rails, just jumping off in towns and killing people. Mm. So um, in 1992, he was on a rampage with a series of rapes in the area as well. Like I said, the panhandling stuff. Um, he was a deviant on these things. Uh, in 1992, Tommy was running the same trip trick on an unsuspecting, on unsuspecting people when he got a young 21-year-old Fabian Witherspoon. Uh, she found pity on him and invited him to the house. His story was like, Hey, I got a wife and a kid. We're kind of living on the streets. She doesn't have too much clothes. We don't have any food. So he wasn't really asking for money, but she gave him some money. She went to her cupboard and filled up three big bags of groceries. She even took some of her clothes from her, um, her closet and gave it to him. Mm-hmm. And so he's about ready to walk outside of the house and she's all happy because she thinks she did a good thing. He he thinks, you know, she's thinking that he's very um, kind and nice and, and that that uh, that he's good, just going to leave. And then all of a sudden he drops everything 
picks her up and and like tr- carries her like fireman's carry to the bathroom, kicks in the door, throws her on the ground. She hits her head. He's trying to tie her up. And the two are just going back and forth and he says, "Just stop it. I'm going to rape you." He's telling her he's going to rape her. And he pulls out a knife and as he ties her up, you know, and has a knife on the counter, she looks at it. It's too far, but she sees this glass like almost like a you know rubber ducky kind of form but it's in glass mm-hmm. form mm-hmm. and she has it on her on the on the sink or whatever and she's able to get one of her hands free and she grabs it and smashes it over his head good and there's a piece of glass that breaks off of it mm-hmm. like or at least a big shard and mm-hmm. she takes it and jabs it into his side real deep mm. Then he starts to take a knife and try to to stab into her stomach as she frees her other hand with a glass, uh, more glass that's on the ground. She, he, he stabs her. Then as he pulls out to do, do it again, she's catching it with her hand. So now it's stabbing into her palm of her hand. She's trying to turn it in onto him. So it starts stabbing his hands. It's turning into a bloody mess to where... She gets control of the knife and stabs him twice more in the side and in the stomach. Dang. Yeah, so they're they're just going on a full, like, you know, life or death fight here. And he rains down the butt of the knife on her head, then slams her head into the ground again, and then punches her repeatedly, and then ties her up. And he thinks that she's dead. Like, he starts to try to choke her out. But she plays dead and he stumbles out of there. He just is like, I, I got to get out of here. And so he leaves and she's on the floor. But sometimes, but somehow she's able to loosen the bindings again and pop loose. And she gets to a phone, calls police, police come. And the mistake that he made with his entire story to her about his wife and his child was he used his real name. Mm. So police now are searching the neighborhoods and there's a person that knows where one of her friends is, has a new friend called Tommy Lynn Sells. So the canvassing, the police are able to track him down. And when they find him, they're thinking because of how she described the fight, you know, he had a stab wound or something. He wouldn't be all that bad off. The thing is, when they find him, he's reeling like cause there's a lot of blood. He's sitting in in this chair in the ki- in this person's kitchen and uh, he's maybe an hour or two from death. So they take him to the hospital and they find out that he has a collapsed lung, a punctured kidney, and a ruptured spleen. Shout out to Fabian for defending her life. Absolutely. Um, Fabian would survive. She had. Oh, go ahead. I'm saying, why couldn't he die there? Again, yeah. Second time, Gab. Um, he should have died. Hmm. But I don't care who gets mad at me for saying that. He deserves to be dead. Correct. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this guy will survive because of the surgery. She will survive. Um, you know, she had head wounds. She had the puncture wounds to her side, to, to her hands, but nothing life-threatening for her. It was more serious for him. So um, he would uh, stay in the hospital for several days before he was arrested and uh, how do, how long do you think uh, 
he served for this? Uh, based on your tone, I'm going <laughs> to say he served about five or less. Gabby? I'm going to say no more than three. You would both be wrong. <clears throat> what? He served only as long as it took him to get to court. What? What? Yep. <clears throat> so. Why? Hear me out. You are going to be upset with this one. Yeah, I'm already on. So with all the fighting back and forth, his lawyers are pretty good and the prosecution sucks. Let's just put it to you that way. Self-defense. <clears throat> they said that, well, it wasn't really an attack. Tommy's claiming that the two were lovers. Ugh. She invited him into the house. Number one. Number two, it was self-defense. Number three, lovers quarrel. Number four, it's his word versus her word. There was no eyewitnesses to the case. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it was dismissed? It was also dismissed on this key part. Unfortunately, this woman, with Miss Witherspoon, had a reputation in the court system down there as far as she had already two to three claims against other men of sexual abuse or attempted rape. So they, her, uh, Tommy's um, lawyers were like, look, this woman started the fight and she tried to hook our client into a situation of putting another man in jail. She's clearly a man hater. This She has a, a history of this. Dang. Wow. Yep. And the judge ate all of that up. Because the only thing they could get him for was a plea deal, which which he had to accept the plea deal, or she had to drop the rape charge. And and uh, this is uh, the only charge that they got on him was malicious intent to harm, which is a super, super low charge in a case like this. Malicious intent to harm. Correct. And yet he got self-defense. It's not punishable because, yes, he had the intention, but he didn't follow through because she stabbed him. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he doesn't have to pay for that. Yep. So he was he only um, he wasn't going to serve any time except like the but but he violated a um, he violated one of the charges. They gave him like a slap on the wrist and he went to jail. So he didn't technically serve any time for these charges. He served uh, time on some other unrelated stuff. And um, he was going to get about for that. He was going to get he got charged three to six years tops. But for good behavior, he could be out in about a year and a half, if that. Right. Wow. Um, but see, what got him more time was a officer in the jail had left his gun out and the gun was in an area where Tommy took it and hid it in his belongings and one of the other jailmates fortunately told on him and he got an additional amount of time well at least that's something yeah, yeah he got but thrown it, into uh, solitary confinement he was transferred to West Virginia to serve out his time for time he had uh, for a couple priors that he had there but once again, in a new jail, he was using his char uh, charismatic um, uh, personality to a charismatic personality, I should say, 
um, to basically have uh, less jail time and get more privileges, and it worked. So he was paroled in 1997. Mm. And from here, he gets a pen pal uh, which w- when he was in prison in West Virginia, who turned into his wife when he came out. Wow. He married a woman uh, in West Virginia who was a, a few years older, but she had money, and he moved to Cleveland, Tennessee. I've never understood that. What? Some people love crazy. These people pen palling prisoners and having relationships and marrying people who are in prison for, like, terrible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. Wow. You know, I was thinking about this whole time. Like, um, I know we're going back. I'm going back. But uh, when he was stabbed up and dang there on his deathbed, it's crazy how doctors really and nurses, they follow that oath. And because, you know, he was arrested right after he got out the hospital. Right. So clearly they suspect him of being, a you know, a criminal. But yet they still perform surgery and saves his life. They doctors and nurses really uphold that oath, man. It's oh, crazy. yeah. They yeah, really I... do. And that's something that's hard to do. I mean, you, especially if you know what that jerk did. But yeah, they got to honor it. They got to honor that oath, man. That's crazy. Yep. So he would go to Tennessee with her, but that wouldn't last too long. Um, she told him to get a job. She didn't want him to mooch off of her. He thought real seriously of killing her and taking her money, but he, for some reason he decided not to. He abandoned her, his third wife or whatever. Um, yeah. He took off and rode the rails back to St. Louis, Missouri. So now it's October 13th, 1997. We have another date. Mm. And... um it's another child. Yeah. Ten-year-old Jolie Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick was stabbed to death in his um, bedroom while he was sleeping at night. While he was screaming, his mother heard sounds from his room. She ran up uh, to her uh, son's room, and when she got to the bedroom, she encountered the intruder. Uh, Tommy kind of pushed her away. She tried to tackle him, but he got outside and got out the window and took off. He had broken through the back door, took in a steak knife from the kitchen and went up to the t- uh, 10-year-old boy, sexually abused him, and then stabbed him to death. Mm. So what? this was now, something so that he would say later on that... Boys. Say again? I'm saying he's abusing girls and boys? Correct. Mm-mm-mm. Which would contradict a lot of the things that he says later. Yeah, and I know the mom probably felt horrible because she could have been, you know, she was probably seconds or minutes away from, you know, possibly saving her son. Yeah, and he would say, um, and I'll play the interview in the next episode. Um, but I'll, a little snippet is he basically comes out and says, well, you know, like if I killed the kids, it's, I didn't want them to have to grow up with memories of what I went through. It's like, well, they Freaking don't do nothing. Bastard. Stupid. Freaking bastard. That is dumb. Yeah. So if that was the case, then you would be targeting all these child rapists, not the children themselves. 
Correct. Correct. And he yeah. also blamed this one on the fact that he had been off drugs for a while. He went on a binge. Um, he hadn't killed in a while, so the drugs helped him drive up his intensity to kill, so he had to do it, is, is his excuse. Okay. And unfortunately, we have a serious case of Johnson's. Now, we had Johnson's in part one that, you know, obviously convicted the wrong guy for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. In this one, right away, they actually convict the mother. What? Yeah, they said the mother did it. They didn't mm-hmm. see uh, enough evidence to show break in. You know, they, they're like, how come it looks like the door was unlocked? Uh, you know, what if you want to kill your son? Why would she want to kill her son? Oh, boy. Dude, if you're going to mock the Johnsons, you better sound like a Johnson. Oh, yeah. They were like, hey, you're the closest one in that bedroom. It had to be someone inside the house. It's, <laughs> it's like the game of Clue. It's Colonel Mustard is the mother. I don't know <laughs> what I mean. Colonel Mustard. She did it with a pocket knife. I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> they they charged her, and... They they used the fingerprint she had on the knife trying to get it away from Tommy. Oh, that's whack. Yeah. Um, but the fingerprints, her her lawyers would fight. It would take another year to get her off. And and her lawyers would fight and show that, hey, you know, there's another f- set of fingerprints here that's not theirs. It doesn't belong to anybody in the house. Hello? So, yeah, the, re- the, way, the reason why it took a year, I don't know. But damn, dude, come on now. That's weak. These people, as if they're not going through a bad enough experience, and then they go to jail being blamed for it. That's what. Yeah. <sighs> Policing just wasn't good back then. I mean, some people would argue it's not good now, but it's way better than it was. But this was just mm-hmm. god awful. Mm. So now we're going to go further ahead, just two days later, to be exact, October 15th, 1997. In Springfield, Missouri, 13-year-old Stephanie Mahaney was found um, in a farm pond uh, west of Springfield. He broke into her home and dragged her out into the field, injected her with a high dose of cocaine, raped her, and then strangled her with her own shirt. Jesus, man. And the family was none the wiser. They did not find out for... Well, they didn't find out till the next day, but then they didn't find her body for a couple of days either. How is this guy getting away with all these murders, man? He just keeps... He keeps moving. Just keeps moving, dude. Dang. Yeah, um, if you have a way to track somebody and then you're not that advanced to fingerprints and all of that, forget it. And he says this is 97? This is a 97, yeah. Codis wasn't out yet. Well, Codis had just started up, but he he hadn't been he hadn't been arrested, you know, or, oh, yeah. or at least his his uh there wasn't back then um, when you commit a felony like it is in the last like fifteen years or so like mm-hmm. uh, it might be twenty years, but um, you used to have to when you get a felony you have to give your DNA or blood mm-hmm. sample or something, and that would go into Codis. So this is before that. So mm. CODIS, I think, was up, but they would only take it voluntarily or if it was a court-ordered. But now it's mandatory. They made a law. You have to. Got it. So 
Uh, about a couple months later, December 14, 1997, 19-year-old Yvette Sophia Mueller was last seen in an RV park in Las Vegas. Tommy Lynn Sells claims to have raped and killed the blonde-haired woman in Las Vegas, chopping her body up with an axe and then uh, burying her in the Snake River. Uh, the body was never found because it has been swept away by a landslide, landslide that officials suspect uh, or officials suspected that the uh, body parts were washed down or buried uh, deep within the uh, wash because they had some sort of flash flood that kind of like tore up the area. But mm -hmm. he took them to the area that had where he had buried the body and uh, police believed him at the time because of the time he was in Vegas plus uh, everything that he described matched the woman in general and also the area that he buried the body. Officials think that the, the body's long gone because of like I said, the landslide and all the mud moving and stuff. So her body spread out somewhere. Ew. Yeah. The family, family wouldn't get any closure with that one. Not at all. So we, we keep going, guys. Um, April 15th, 1998, in San, San Antonio, Texas, uh, Thomas Bro, uh, 40, was a carnival um, worker, uh, who was shot to death in his motor home. He was seen with a man matching Sell's description and also Sells would later on, uh, what is it, uh, uh, confess to that one as well. Um, April 4th, 1999, in Gibson, Tennessee, Deborah Harris, 31 years old, and her 8-year-old daughter, Ambria Alberton, uh, were both killed after Sells broke into their house at night and raped Harris violently in the bed. She was stabbed with a kitchen knife repeatedly until the knife got stuck in her chest. Oh. Yeah. Um, her daughter tried to get away, but she was stabbed repeatedly from behind. Um, and uh, there was a uh, witness to the murder in progress as she tried to run outside. A couple people saw cells and the description of him leaving the house. Mm. So that's another oh. mother-daughter that he pumped mm. mm. out and would kill in cold blood. Um, moving on again, April 18th, 1999. Um, San Antonio, Texas, nine-year-old um, and uh, Patricia Perez was kidnapped from a marketplace festival. Um, he threw her. Now, again, this is a marketplace Somehow, some way, he snatched her, got her into a dark alley. No one heard her scream, or he had his mouth, uh, her, his hand over her mouth. He was able to throw her in the back of his trunk, and he drove her to a stockyard that was abandoned. Um, he raped her and um, strangled her to death with her T-shirt, and she was found in the creek ten days later. Um, the DNA from that was on her was later put back to Tommy Lynn cells so that they got him for that murder as well. Man, he is just piling on bodies. His body count is, I think he's at what? He's up to 20. It's around there, yeah. Jesus. We'll get into the official number and then we'll we'll talk about those he suspected of. Um, May 23rd, 1999 in Lexington, Kentucky, Haley McComb, 13, was kidnapped from a park close to her house 
where she was on the swings. He dragged her into a wooded area and raped and beat her several times. Then he also strangled her again with her own T-shirt, then covered her body with leaves, wood, uh, wood and other branches. Uh, her body was found later that evening. So she, another teenager right there, preteen. So um, now this dude, like, he's not even going after older people anymore, huh? No, because he, he's too scared that he's going to get confronted or killed. Or, or you know what I mean? Because that woman scared him, Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Freaking pig. Yep. <clears throat> July 5th, 1999, in Kingfisher, Oklahoma, Bobby Lynn Wolford, age 14, was picked up from a Love's convenience store by Tommy Lynn Sells. He drove her to a secluded area sexually assaulted her and struck her repeatedly with a hatchet and then shot her in the head to put her out oh. of misery. Oh. Oh. He God. dumped her body off the side of the road and kept two earrings, which would come back later to prove that he was a murderer of her as well. Dang, man. Hatchet. Yep. Hey, this dude is... Hey, bro. That's brutal. Absolutely. So now what we're going to do is I'm going to play some audio. And this is from the unseen. So this is not produced by us. But I wanted to play this audio and give them some credit. Um, this was going to detail what got him caught. And you're going to hear a little bit of him and a little bit of the survivor. So if you're down to hear that. We'll hear what uh, what she, what this poor little girl went through. So let's let's uh, let's hear the, what happened. All right. It's December thirty first, three a.m. Crystal is fast asleep after a night of laughter with Kate. We went to bed kind of late, but I remember I woke up to like a scream. She notices that the light is on. Laying silent at the top of a bunk bed, she looks around, confused. I could see at the end of the bed, um, this scary guy. He had scruffy hair, long, dark, curly hair, and a big, scary, long, bushy beard that just took over his whole face, and then his eyes were just dark and, and mean. The man doesn't notice that Crystal is awake, but she can see the man is holding Kate and that he has a knife. He had a hand on her mouth and the knife on her neck, and she's looking at me. Kate then screams out to Crystal to go get her mom. At that moment, the man drives his knife across Kate's neck, dropping her to the floor. He then moves in and stabs her again and again. I heard Katie at the bottom of the bed on, or on the floor. She was like gasping for air and choking. She couldn't breathe. Crystal is horrified, but she's quiet, careful not to make a sound. She wants to help her friend, but if she moves, the man will kill her. After a moment, the man walks out of the room about to shut off the light and he looked one last time and he noticed that I was there. Tommy Lincells has already made a victim. He doesn't hesitate when he sees that frightened girl on the top bunk. He closes the door and walks back to her side. I was trying to scoot to the right side of the bed because he was on the left. He just reached over and cut my throat like this. Without hesitation, Crystal drops to the floor and plays dead. She's praying that the man won't come back and check if she's alive, like he did with Kate. She has to stay absolutely still. I just remember laying there and the light turning off and I heard the door shut. So I got on my hands and knees and I was crawling across the floor in the bedroom and I came across Katie. She was kind of making um, 
a gasping noise or maybe she was choking. Um, but then I was trying to comfort her. I, I laid next to her, rubbing her back, and, and that's when I realized I couldn't talk because all I wanted to say was everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be okay, but I couldn't. Then Kate goes quiet. With her friend dying in her arms, Crystal realizes she could be next. I had this feeling, you know, get out of here, get up, come on, go. I was laying there thinking, has he been to the other rooms? Does he know that the whole family's here? Is everybody hurt? Are they all dead? Crystal decides to head outside to find help at the closest house. Before she opens the door, she hears a car drive off. There's no way to be sure it's the man who killed Kate, but she has to take the risk. It was dark outside. I was in my pajamas, no shoes, nothing. I saw a light in the distance. I was like, that's my goal. That's where I need to be. I just got on the road and walked really slow to that light. Really, all I could think about was, just get to this house, just get to this house, just get to this house. And I just banged on their door and I, I hear a gentleman, he's like, who's there, who's there? And I can't talk, so I'm just banging as hard as I can on the door. I have a little girl just rang my doorbell. Crystal is begging the man to tell the operator that the Harris family needs help, but all she can do is write while holding a hand to her throat. She writes for them to hurry, that her neck needs help. And to the man, she writes, Will I live? January 2nd, Crystal is at the hospital, relieved that Tommy Lynn Sells is behind bars. But her nightmare isn't over yet. In less than nine months, she will have to face him in court because her testimony is crucial to the case to make sure Tommy Lynn Sells never hurts anyone else ever again. And she's terrified of what might happen. Will she be able to go through with her testimony? If she fails, he might be released. And who knows what Sells will do when he sees her in the courtroom. Like in the case of Mary Stauffer, who was kidnapped by her stalker, he attacked her with a knife in court and left a mark on her face. In the weeks before the trial, the television show America's Most Wanted covers Kate and Crystal's story, and they arrange for Crystal to meet with another teen who went through something very similar. And he, like, strangled me. He flipped both my wrists. You can barely see them, thank God, they're going away. And then he slipped my throat. Christy Reed had survived a brutal attack in 1999 when she got home from school. The brave young 14-year-old then stood in court to face the man who also killed her 16-year-old sister. I asked for him not to be in the courtroom, but they couldn't do it unless he said something bad or, you know, looked at me weird. Yeah, I'm way scared because he's going to be sitting right there. During the encounter, Crystal notices the little gold ring that Christy is wearing. It was this ring that gave Christy strength when she testified in court as a reminder of her sister. Do you have any tips or anything like your friend's name was Katie? Yeah. Concentrate on her, because you're helping her and yourself. It's scary, but once you get it out, you're like, you feel a lot better. It's September 12th, nine months after the attack. The trial begins for Tommy Lynn Sells. Let me have the defendant rise and face the jury and all that. The day I had to testify, I said, Mom, don't cry. Please don't cry. If I see you in the crowd bawling, you're going to distract me. You know, you're going to make me upset. 11-year-old Crystal Searles was going to be the key witness, the star witness for the prosecution. She had never seen Tommy Lynn Sells since the night that he came to that house and slashed her throat. And she didn't know how she was going to react. 
The jury is presented with extremely emotional testimony while Tommy Lynn Sells remains indifferent. What I was told was an intruder had entered the premises and uh, my daughter was uh, gone. They discovered that it was my own daughter who was in the house. I, I just cried and cried. Soon, it will be Crystal's turn to tell the jury what she went through, with Cells just a few feet away from her. Moments before she has to go to the courtroom, a surprise is delivered directly to Crystal to help her through her last struggle. And I am to tell you that this is to help guide you, okay? Come on! Inside, she finds the cross ring that Christy was wearing, the same ring she wore in court. As you face this journey from the moment you begin, know that God will guide you and you'll have the strength to win. And then when they called me down, I was like, I'm ready, I'm ready. They said, do you want to walk by him? Um, you could either walk by him or just walk through this door and get on... Um, the stand and I said, I want to walk by him. I'm, I'm not scared of him. Were you ever awakened during the night? Yes. What was it that awakened you? Katie's voice saying help. His hand was over her mouth. Whose hand was over her mouth? His hand. The man with the blue jacket and the glasses? Yes. Let the record reflect that the witness has identified the defendant, Tommy Lynn Sells. He was standing behind her with his, with his hand over her mouth. The knife right here. He was... Okay. He was... As Crystal struggles to finish her accounts of that night, the judge gives her a short recess to let her recover. If she's not able to go through with it, she knows what might happen to Cells. I put my, my thoughts towards Katie. I just had such a mindset that this is what I wanted to do, and this is what I had to do. This is for Katie. She deserves this. What happened next? He moved the knife and put her throat. He started walking towards me. Did you say anything to him? Yes. What did you tell him? I told him I'd be quiet. I promise I won't. I won't say nothing. I'm. I'm not making the noises, baby. He said, "Move your hands." And why did he say move your hands? How? Will you show us how you had your hands? I had them up like this. Can you tell us why you had your hands up close to your neck. Because I saw what he did to Katie and I was scared he was going to do it to me. As she struggles to go through with her testimony, she finds comfort in the gift Christy gave her. He reached over the ledge to my throat, just laid there, and pretended I was dead. Tell us why you did that. 
Because if he knew I was alive, he would have came back and killed me for sure. Well, Crystal, you can stand down then, and this completes your examination. Thank you, and you are excused. That's some powerful stuff, huh? Man. Man, when she started crying, uh, that got me a little bit. Yeah, she puts you right in that bedroom. Yeah, man. In the video, it shows her staring right at Tommy. I uh, I can't imagine you know what she was going through when she was looking at him dead in his eye correct Mm. I mean how do you that's crazy like you've already seen him kill your sister right in front of you and now you have to figure out a way to stay alive oh that was that was her best friend oh I thought it was her sister yeah it was the best friend no it was the best friend they were having a sleepover when he broke into the house damn yeah, that was that was a tough one, but <clears throat> here's the thing, and you know we'll get more into it on the next episode. Mm. But her testimony, along with the evidence and his confession, he was found guilty, of course. He was then over the years um, given. Uh, he was attributed to twenty-two murders. Twenty-two murders. Twenty-two murders. Countless rapes and assaults um but he was he was he can how can i say this um i'm I'm missing the words here but um he uh said that he was um responsible for 70 70 yeah he's claiming 70 but but police and law enforcement they're still investigating him but they can attribute to him over the years Uh up until this present day he's um, been uh, been attributed to 22 of these murders, but he's only been prosecuted for one. What? Which is the which is Katie, which is the one we just heard about, and because of that capital murder case, he was given the death penalty. Wait, what? <laughs> well, how come? Wait, how come if they're attributing him to 22? He only gets convicted for one. They only they only took him to court for one. Why? What? They well, I guess they said, well, this one is bigger than all of them, so we're just gonna throw them, lump them all in one. It's got the, the strongest penalty. amount of evidence, and it, although he confessed, they have DNA on the other ones as well. Instead of dragging the families, the taxpayers through case after case after case. They just felt like, okay, this is going to get him capital murder. It's going to give him the death penalty. We've got him. And and for if some way, somehow, this one went down, we have 22 other murders or 21 other murders to uh, tack on to him to retry him again. But he never really appealed his death penalty. Mm, mm, mm. So in 2014... He was uh, given the uh, death penalty, which is the lethal injection. I don't think that's good. In enough. what state? Texas. Oh, okay. Then they won't take that back. Yeah, they. <laughs> and um, he was. Um, he didn't stay too long on death row. He was only there, I think, nine years. And then they gave him the death. Uh, they put him to death. They asked him if he had any last words. He said, "Just simply no." And then he. 
at this time he's a little fatter now because he's in prison and um he started snoring as they were giving him the uh because he was just he just fell asleep like whatever and then they gave him the injection uh he was snoring for all of two minutes after the injection and people were like why is he still breathing and then it was seven minutes later when it finally kicked in and his heart and he was officially pronounced dead Hmm. I mean, that's not good enough. That was, it's it's too easy, especially for what he did to several the <laughs> seventy people. It, it was too easy, you know. And I'm not, you know, I, I, it was just too easy. Let me just lay it like that. It was. It's so unfair. You know, he tortured and tormented several people, men, women, children, and. For him to just go out peacefully, sleeping, sleeping, snoring, didn't have no last words, probably didn't have any remorse. It's too easy. So here's the thing. This dude gets convicted for 70, you know, murders, rapes and all this stuff. Well, he wasn't convicted for 70, but he claimed 70. Okay, well, he claimed 70, right? We're Mm going to say he had 70 bodies on him. And... He gets the capital murder, obviously, and he gets the death penalty. And he tormented, tortured men, women, and children. And all this dude gets is a shot in his veins. And he goes out peacefully, snoring. And that's it. Too easy for me. Way too easy for me. Correct. And here's the thing, too. And we'll go over this more in part three, but a little teaser is when all these other cases are coming up and he's already been, you know, he's told other detectives that come in from other cities and other states to uh, ask about murders and he's actually given times and dates and details that only the killer would know and, you know, obviously volunteered his DNA to to get him to some of the other cases. That's Mm -hmm. all fine and dandy. They're able to close those cases, but there's a lot of cases where the one we're going to talk about too in part three where he was he offered to um, go out and visit the crime scene give details and you know walk them through everything and other cases too around the country but texas at the time was like nah you know what there's enough of this we've got enough murders on him um you know he's we're gonna lock him up throw away the key keep him in solitary confinement and he's gonna play out the rest of his days till we kill him they they didn't want to extradite him or or let him travel to any of these other states that close these cases mm. I mean in part it makes sense you can't trust this bastard to risk transporting him anywhere mm-hmm. but at the same time that's not fair for the families of those people they don't get closure my thing is if this is part two normally when we do a story you know the ending of the story is we we find out what happened to them the jail sentences blah 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 this is part two and we find out that he's been put to death. What does part three got to bring us? Part three is going to take us into that detestable case, which we're going to, we're going to like, we didn't in this case, because there were so many murders to go through, get a chance to actually get into the people behind, you know, the victims talk about the Mm -hmm. victims. Mm -hmm. And this one, we're going to talk about the victims, see how they came about and their story and then we're going to talk about the atrocity in good detail and then also the um investigation 
from the time it happened onward to this day and get into the to the if it was a who done it or if it was Tommy Lynn sells. Mm. Got you. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing from here you're going to leave us like that and we're going to have to come back for number 3. You are correct. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know his waist already? Yeah, yeah, because he set me up. Because I'm like, okay, if if this is the finale, we he gets put to death, then hmm, part three is going to be details. Ah, I like what you did there, Todd. <laughs> Thank you. Well, if you want to continue to hear what happens next and the conclusion of this story, tune in next time because we are out of here. But before we get out of here, I want to give you guys a quick reminder on where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just type in Grinding True Crimes. Um, follow our page, like our page, leave a comment on our page. If you want to listen to us on your podcast stream, just go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine, and Zencaster. And for those outside of the U.S., you can continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Hot Chaser. All right. Well, this was part two of the Tommy Lynn's uh, Styles. Sales. Whatever. Well, <laughs> I, hey, at least I didn't say Tommy Lee Jones because that's what I keep saying. <laughs> Tommy Lee Sales. This was part two of the country, a cross country killer. So um, stay tuned for part three, which will be very, very soon because I want to know what. It, the details Todd got for us. Oh yeah. Uh, with all that being said, this has been Grinding True Crimes with your host Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gab and Todd Fox. And we're finding out of here. Peace. <laughs> Y'all come back now. You hear it's gonna be pretty bloody on the next one. Oh, Ooh. No. sorry. Dang it.